and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Please turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Today, in a sermon which Pastor Elliot originally presented in his church in Pennsylvania, we will see why God plans that the church worldwide be the most strategic to his own purposes. We will also see that our Lord Jesus Christ planned the concept of there being human pastor leaders of local assemblies. And now with his message for today is Pastor Robert Elliott. The church is a big deal. Acts 1.8, Jesus, some of his last words before ascending back to the Father's right hand, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And then in the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples after resurrection, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, this is Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The church is a big deal because the only plan that God has for winning the lost to Christ and then making them to be fully committed followers of Jesus Christ is done through the primary vehicle of blessing in this age called the church. There is no plan B if the church fails to win the lost and disciple them to becoming full followers of Christ. There is no contingency plan. And this is why the church, universal, all born-again believers in Jesus Christ around the whole wide world, why the church is a big deal. Of course, this local church is but a unique and specialized local expression of the church. We're to be a lighthouse of the gospel to win the lost and of the word of God to disciple the believing in this tri-state area. We're a lighthouse. The Greek word which translates church is ekklesia. Ekklesia means ones who are called out or called out ones. We who know Christ as Savior by faith have been called out of sin, out of self, out of Satan, out of a world system that cheerfully lives Jesus Christ completely out. We are called out ones. Ecclesia. We're the church. And the church is a big deal. It shouldn't surprise us, therefore, that Christ, as the head of the church, upholds and recognizes human leaders within churches that he appoints. It should not surprise us that after recognizing these leaders, he upholds them. Number three, it should not surprise us that Christ, as head of the church, actually presences himself within local assemblies or expressions of the church, local churches, by the person of the Holy Spirit. And it should not surprise us that Christ, as head of the church, fully knows the deeds of all of the believers that make up all of the local churches. So the four points in this message this morning are these. Christ 
recognizes human leaders of local churches. Christ upholds those leaders of local churches. Christ presences himself within local churches by the person of the Holy Spirit. And Christ fully knows the deeds of all the people who make up local churches. If you have your Bibles, please open to Revelation chapter two. We're working our way through this last book of the Bible and we're seeing together that the first chapter is talking about what was current when John saw a vision on Patmos. Chapters two and three are going to relay to us what God told John to tell the pastors of seven literal ancient local churches. Chapters four through 19 of the book are going to give us future events, the tribulation, the second coming of Christ, the establishment of a thousand year kingdom we call the millennial kingdom, the final battle, the great white throne judgment, the incineration of the present earth and heavens, the remaking of a new heavens and a new earth, an eternal state, an eternity with Jesus Christ at the center of heaven and all that heaven is. And so this morning when we come to Revelation chapter two, we're just getting into the first message that John received from the risen Christ that he was to relay to an ancient church called Ephesus. I'm not going to unpack the actual details that Jesus told John about that church today. I, Lord willing, will do that in the next sermon. But what I want us to see in the preamble to this message to the ancient church of Ephesus, how Jesus Christ views local churches and those men that God has called up to humanly lead those local churches. And so Revelation 2, 1 through 2a, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds. And I'm gonna stop right in the middle of verse two. We'll pick up the rest of verse two, the next Revelation sermon. The first point though I want us to see from these verses that I've just read is that Christ recognizes the human leaders of local churches. You see there that he talks about to the angel of the church of Ephesus. I told you before the Greek word translated angel can be translated messenger, literally messenger. Sometimes the messenger is human, sometimes the messenger is angelic. Context tells us which is which. When these seven churches are addressed by the risen Christ, John is told to address the angel of the church of Ephesus, the angel of the church of Smyrna, the angel of the church of Thyatira, etc. We all know that no angel leads any local church. It's never been God's plan. <laughs> you know I'm not an angel. <laughs> My wife really knows I'm not an angel. But here the angel, the messenger for the church of Ephesus is an elder, a human pastor, teacher. And so it is with all seven of these churches. But the interesting thing to me is that Christ recognizes the human leaders of local churches. He calls them angel or messenger. If you look back to verse 20 of chapter one, it's very clear how we ought to interpret angel and lampstand. 120, as for the mystery of the seven stars, which are, you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars 
are the angels, the messengers, the pastors of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. John was to tell the elder pastors of these seven churches, hey, Jesus sees your local churches as lampstands. You're to be light in a dark world. I trust we understand that here at Milford Bible Church. So in the first place, Christ recognizes the human leaders of local churches. He calls them messengers, human messengers. They're called stars, seven stars. Not that they are super talented stars, not like the sports terminology, but they're stars because they reflect the light of the sun, S-U-N. And the star as a pastor teacher is to reflect the light of the sun, S-O-N. And we let scripture interpret scripture. So 120 tells us how to understand the term star and lampstand. So again, the first point of our message is that Jesus Christ, head of the church, recognizes the human leaders of local churches. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas here on another edition of Youth Talk. And as you know, we have just finished probably the biggest week of our Christian calendar as we think of Easter and um, as we think of Resurrection Day that we worship a risen King. And I think too many times in our lives that we don't put that in perspective that we worship a risen King every week. And this morning I want to talk about exactly what the Christian life is all about. The Christian life is not just about a lot of people coming to church on an Easter morning, but the Christian life is a, a race of endurance. In fact, Paul talks about the Christian life of being a race. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. In this verse, Paul is saying, look, there are going to be many people who run, but there are going to be some people who fall out. There are going to be some people who give up. There are going to be some people who cannot endure. In fact, we need to understand that the Christian life is not a sprint. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It's a race that we run, that we try to endure. And, and it says here that we run the race in order to receive a prize. You know, I want us to think as, as a young person, when you think of anything that you do, you want to give 100%. You want to do all that you can. Um, as a parent who is listening this morning, you may give your kid incentives to do their best. But what more incentive do we need than to say that we are worshiping a risen king, that we are representing a risen king? First Corinthians 9.25 says, And every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. This is telling us that as an athlete, we, we may try to strive for a gold medal or whatever it may be or whatever prize we may think on this earth. But we need to understand that those prizes are going to tarnish. They are going to fade away. But in a Christian life, we are trying to run a race for an imperishable, the reward of our, of our Lord and Savior as we think of that. And we understand that exactly that God wants us to run this race the best that we can. He wants us to understand that we're not just running for something that we may lose, but we have a gift of salvation that we have that we can never lose. And he wants us to run a race that's pleasing to him. So in verse 26 of that same chapter, it says this, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I don't know if any of you have ever um, went and watched um, a t-ball game, but I've had the opportunity to coach t-ball and you can have some fun times just looking at some kids sometimes in the outfield, just picking flowers and picking weeds when they're really supposed to be looking at what's going on around you in the game. But the reality is, is that 
They are just doing it aimlessly. They 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 aren't they aren't even a part of the of the game. If a ball is hit out there, you hear parents you know yelling and screaming, "Get the ball, get the ball!" But they don't care. They're picking up the weeds. They're picking up the flowers. That's what this is talking about. We're not running a race aimlessly. We're not just running and looking in the clouds. But we are running a race to to bring honor and glory to God. Do not box as one beating the air. Shadow boxing. What what is the point of shadow boxing? Yes, it's good for training, but if you're just doing it in a ring, you're gonna get knocked out. Which brings us to the last verse. First Corinthians nine twenty seven says this, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Again, we are, are talking about running this race, which is called a Christian life. And you may be in your school and there may be other Christian organizations in your school. But let's not just join a Christian organization. Let us join and understand that our relationship with Jesus Christ is far better than any organization, and that's who we represent. We don't just represent our student Christian movements. We represent Jesus Christ. And I think that this is something that I, I think that we all struggle as believers, as Christians, is that we need to understand that we need to keep under control. Even when things are, are hard and when things don't go our way, we need to be under control. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and let the Spirit be seen as we know in Galatians and talk about the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are what should be seen in our lives. If these are not seen in our lives and people see us as an angry person, a person that um, falls into sin over and over, we are going to disqualify our message. We are going to disqualify. And we know that most of the time, as we think of why people say they don't come to church, because they say the church is full of hypocrites, or they may say, you, you go to church on Sunday, you do this thing, but when you come to school on Monday, you do this thing. The reality is we don't want to be disqualified. We want to be under control. We want to discipline our body as a, a runner would do and train for a race that we want to do it in our own spiritual life. So the question as we think about is how do we discipline our lives? Well, first of all, we have to read God's Word. We need to study God's Word and understand that this is our manual to life. You know what? We could have all the, the, the biology and the science and everything in, in school, but the reality is that we don't have the Word of God, the center of our lives. We are missing out because this is truth. This is a book that will never change. And this is a book that changes us because it tells us that it's a two-edged sword and it will cut us and it will destroy us. We need to understand it as, as we think about this. You know, we need to recognize that God's Word is there for us to, to know how we are to live in this life. Second of all, we must pray. We must talk to God. You know, as we think of, of getting to know someone, we must recognize exactly how much time do we spend to get to know that person. But what we do is we give everything we can to get to know them. You know, we'll, we'll make ourselves available to them. But when it comes to God, it seems that we put him on the side. It seems that we don't give him 100%. It seems that we don't spend the time that we need with him. And we live in a world that, 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 that can cloud this for us. We hear a lot of stuff from the outside, but the Bible tells us that we need to be still and know that I am God. Because the reality is we are busy people. We live in a world that, that is so constantly throwing things at us that we don't have a time to hear from the voice of God because we are so caught up in everything else. So I want to challenge you as, as we have looked at this morning, as we're going to continue to look at for the next couple of weeks, as we think of the culture and think of some other things that culture throws at us, how can we be more disciplined in our relationship with God? How can we discipline our mind? How can we discipline our body? 
how can we not disqualify the message that we are showing to people? Because we always look at the preacher on a pulpit. But you must understand as a young person today that you are a preacher in your schools, that people see Christ as a Christian. If you say you live, if you're a Christian, they see Christ in you. That's what should be seen in you. So I want to close with this question as we think of the Gatorade slogan, is it in you? What is coming out of you? Is Christ coming out of you? Is that the sweat that comes out when you are in caught in a, a corner? Are people seeing things that don't represent Christ? Again, this is Pastor Nick, and I hope that as you listen to this, that you would understand this one, that we are in a race, that we are to bring honor and glory to God in everything that we do. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Pleased this morning to have in the recording studio my friend Dale Losh, who serves as president of Crossworld Mission. Good morning, Dale. Good morning, Rob. I thought we could visit a little bit about some things to do with World Mission. Notice it's singular, not plural, because there's one thing Jesus left for us to do, which is to make fully committed followers of his or disciples across the nations. I have a sense that there have been a lot of faithful missionaries who have gone cross-culturally away from their home countries, have served Jesus well, but they're getting on in years. Some have passed away and gone to heaven. How, how is that to be responded to by uh, the Church of Christ, but also the, the mission boards such as yours? Well, you are correct that the uh, great wave of uh, Western missions that went out after the Second World War is coming back into shore. Um, uh, there are many uh, from that generation who have retired or are at the point of retirement. And uh, I think it poses a real challenge to the church in the West to step up and uh, replenish the ranks of, of those workers. Um, the Great Commission is still in effect. Uh, and I know there are some who say, well, you know, we can have just as much impact by sending our dollars instead of sending our sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. You know, a national missionary from India uh, is much cheaper, they will say, and I can support 10 of those for the same cost that I could support one of my own people. And uh, while I, I see uh, there is some great strategic advantage to supporting a national worker, uh, I don't believe it's an either-or question. Uh, until Jesus revokes the Great Commission to the church in North America, which is to send uh, disciples to disciple the nations, then we have to be replenishing the ranks of those who are coming home. And um, it's particularly challenging today because uh, that post-World War vision uh, that many of our military came home with in yes. those days and many of them went back overseas with a, a, a desire to take the gospel. Um, that's lacking today and we need a, a fresh infusion of the Spirit of God giving that impulse to the church here in the West. By all means, it's so true. I have heard, and I just wonder what you would comment on, that some of the traditional countries that we have sent missionaries to and seen them as heathen, um, lost, needing missionaries, needing Christ first, but missionaries to tell them about Christ, that some of those mission uh, targets, shall we say, have become launching pads for missionaries back even toward America and Canada and, and uh, first world countries. Would you please say something about that? Yes, absolutely true. Um, 
Back in 1900, they say that uh, there were probably only about a thousand non-Western missionaries in the world. Wow. All the rest uh, would have been from the West. Uh, today, uh, and it's hard to put a number on it, uh, it's estimated that there are at least 180,000 non-Western missionaries Crazy. and maybe 50 or 60,000 Western missionaries. So they are at least triple our numbers. Mm -hmm. And again, it's hard to even count how many there are because many of them uh, have gone as uh, what we would call marketplace uh, missionaries. They go and they take jobs uh, as nannies in uh, Saudi Arabia and, mm -hmm. and, and around the world as business people um, and are what we might call tent making uh, tent makers or uh, marketplace workers. So even that number 180,000 could be very low because the church in the non-West has sent out a lot of people. Yes, I find that very interesting that on the one hand, I think it ought to be a great encouragement to the first world countries that the efforts and the prayers and the monies we've invested for the gospel's sake have borne fruit, that churches have strengthened and seen their response to the Great Commission and therefore have sent missionaries. That's a wonderful encouragement. But I think on the other hand, honestly, it ought to be a bit of a, a reprimand that we are missing what's right under our noses in the first world, that there are lots of lost people that perhaps our indigenous church in America or Canada or England or someplace like that, we need missionaries to come and help us because we maybe dropped the ball. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, you may have heard the phrase, uh, from everywhere to everywhere. It used to be pretty much from the West to everywhere else. Today, it's really from anywhere and everywhere to everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have, uh, I'm sure, read uh, studies um, from organizations like George Barna, mm -hmm. and uh, Barna actually uh, reports that uh, North America is today the only continent in the world where the church is not growing. Every other continent in the world, the church is growing. In North America, it's shrinking. Mm. Uh, and he actually compares the church in North America to the Titanic. He says it is large, elegant, and sinking fast. Whoa. So we, we need the rest of the world to come here and, uh, and stir us up with the gospel. Absolutely. I would think that the remedy for being the Titanic would be to be about the business of the shipbuilder, mm -hmm. which is to get in the game and, and start uh, sharing the gospel, being evangelistic, and then helping persons to trust Christ, to be fully committed followers of him, just to get back to the meat and potatoes that uh, the word tells us to do, and God help us to do just that. Amen. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com That's eocradio at gmail.com Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. 
I have a question from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, and verse 3, which reads, Jesus' words, And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The question is, is eternal life something believers get in heaven, or do we have it now? In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus provides his definition of the eternal life that he has authority to confer. While we usually think of eternal life as something to be enjoyed in heaven after death, Jesus indicates that eternal life is a present possession. It is something we enjoy as believers here on earth and throughout eternity. Jesus equates eternal life with an intimate and personal knowledge of God, of God the Father and Christ his Son. Let me say that again. Jesus equates eternal life with an intimate and personal knowledge of God the Father and Christ his Son. The word know in Greek, genesko, speaks of an intimate relationship, not just an awareness of certain facts. This knowledge of God comes through Jesus Christ. See John chapter 1, verse 18. We know it is in the present tense. Jesus must be referring to a growing and vital personal relationship with God the Father mediated through Christ the Son. Eternal life means an abundant spiritual life with God, a life that will never end. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.